Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Welcome to Eloquentia perfecta ex machina, a podcast series devoted to the teaching of rhetoric and composition with and through a range of media, and focusing on the writing program at St. Louis University. On this podcast, we interview instructors about how and why they use multimodal approaches, and we have instructors interview other instructors about the nuts and bolts of particular tools and assignments. In this episode, Byron Gilman Hernandez schedules a quick conference with Natalie Monzik to discuss conferencing. Natalie shares how she's made use of early semester student conferences in her literature and rhetoric classes, as well as some tips and best practices she's picked up from her experience. Hello, I'm Byron. And I'm joined today in the studio with Natalie Monzik. Hi, Byron. Thanks for having me. And we're here today to talk about conferencing. Now, Natalie, I understand you use conferencing in your classes quite a bit. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah. I mean, I've always been taught since I started teaching that conferencing is a good kind of tool to get uh, your students used to you and also for you to kind of like understand your students better. What I've done recently over the last two semesters is I've started conferencing with my students at the very beginning of the semester Mm -hmm. as opposed to conferencing around a certain project. And I really liked this format. And what made it at the start of the semester better than around the project? Well, I did it for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, the class that I started teaching last semester, well, I, I taught it before, but that I was teaching last semester, Gender Identity and Literature, it has a lot of kind of terminology that students maybe uh, have kind of a wide range of knowledge or on. And so what I started doing, and this was kind of motivated by a seminar I went to over the summer, um, the Culturally Responsive Teaching Institute, hosted by the Reinhardt Center here at SLU, on how to kind of like, you know, ease into a good semester. So some of the terminology in um, a gender-based class, things like intersectionality or like, you know, binaries, some students know that terminology. Some students, as you will see with any course, really do not. Uh, And so what I started doing is doing a term familiarity survey where I had students rank terms um, on a scale of one being they've never heard the term to four, they've heard it and they regularly use it and just circle a number along the scale. And then I put those into an Excel spreadsheet and kind of see where my students like have knowledge and where they definitely like need some instruction. And then I also asked um, kind of some basic questions like major, like why they took the course. I mean, frequently it was because it was a general education course, but sometimes like why they selected this particular topic. They were interested in. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so um, and then kind of if they had career goals and if so, like how could this class maybe help them achieve some of those career goals? And then I would have students bring that survey in within the first two weeks of class and I would like look over it and we'd kind of talk through it. And so it'd be a chance to really kind of get a sense of what backgrounds your students had and what they were expecting out of the course? Absolutely. I feel like we all frequently get this information, but I felt like getting it earlier let me kind of self-correct for certain things. For example, like if I anticipated that my students knew a particular topic better than they actually did, I could add a couple readings in that would kind of give them a better knowledge on something that perhaps like I assumed they had knowledge of. And also uh, sometimes like things like, for example, last semester, I had a student with a, a hearing impairment who told me, didn't have any accommodations on her record, but she told me during this conference that like she had it and that she liked to lip read videos and things like that. And so that allowed me to also turn on like closed captioning whenever I showed videos in class. And so having some kind of one-on-one conversations, I think sometimes students are a little bit more open about what they struggle with as well. 
I have a section where I ask students, like, is there anything else like I should know about you going into the semester that you want to share with me? And I've had several students like talk to me about different struggles they've had or things they've been really passionate about learning about that I've been able to kind of account for in my lesson planning. Yeah. And it takes away by being one on one takes away a lot of that, what they're uncomfortable with and even things that they're you know, really engaged in. Yeah, and I find that once they've talked with me one-on-one, they are better in the class. Like, once they've kind of talked with me, I feel like they feel more comfortable in speaking out kind of in a classroom environment, even amongst their peers. Hmm. Yeah, and so how do you, so you say it's the second week of class, do you just uh, have a week of, you cancel classes and just have a bunch of, have the students sign up for conferences? I actually kept classes going, which is a lot of work Mm -hmm. because I don't like canceling class that early on in the semester, which is the problem for me. Later on in the semester, they have like a project they work on. But in the second week, it's kind of difficult to cancel class. At least I think it is for me and my kind of teaching style. So I had class and then I would just schedule 10 minute meetings uh, during like my office hours and a couple other hours that I was around. Occasionally, I would have to schedule something with for students who couldn't make that. Mm And in my experience, uh, early semester conferencing is a good way to show students you have office hours, where that office is. Absolutely. How to get there. <laughs> uh, nobody knows where Adorjan is, um, which I'm sure you've experienced. <laughs> Earlier today, I had a student who was talking about um, trying to get to my conference uh, I had with him on time and trying to find the door to Adorjan. <laughs> There's only one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but it's on the backside from the street and he had to like circle the whole building and thought he could get a Dorjan straight from the clock tower is on the way between the clock tower to, to, uh, what's it called? Lindell. Yes. Um, and there's a building in the way to try to get to. There <laughs> is. Yes. I've had students, I've had a student call me from the lobby of a because he couldn't find our office <laughs> on the second floor. So mm-hmm. a is kind of this weird, inaccessible place for students. <laughs> Yeah, but once you make it part of early in the semester, you have them finding you early, not when it's a crisis where they desperately are panicked about a paper or something like that. So that that can help. Um, Do you still use, um, you mentioned you like having this early conference as opposed to project conferences, but do you find you still use conferences um, in your gender identity lit class from last semester beyond that time or in this semester after your first few weeks? The last two semesters, I've only required conferences during the first two weeks, and then obviously they can come whenever. But I kind of stress uh, during projects like, you know, here's my office hours. I'd be happy to meet with you outside of those office hours if they don't work for you. Please come chat with me about your, you know, projects um, as needed or if you want. And I feel like I've had a lot of students, like, schedule conferences with me who maybe otherwise wouldn't because generally optional conferences as we all know Mm -hmm. most of them don't come maybe you get one or two of your very eager to please students who will show up but I said I had uh, 25 students last semester and I had about seven or eight of them who came and conferenced with me of their own free will (laughs) and so I think that, you know, kind of establishing, um, you know, this open line of communication from the beginning, first of all, it shows them that you're actually kind of invested in their learning and their experience. And it also kind of shows, like, I think establishes, like, you know, this open line of communication, which they feel a little bit more comfortable using later on if they need to. All right. And uh, have you found any in your experiences with conferencing, either these early semester or later project conferencing, techniques you found that have been useful or helpful for getting the most out of a 10-minute sit-down with a 
random undergrad. Yeah, I definitely recommend having a kind of game plan or an outline for what you think, like how you think the conference will go and also sharing that with your student. So I generally tell students, I'll spend like five or 10 minutes, you know, in class saying, this is what I'll kind of ask you, or these are the things, you know, I'll ask you to think about. So that way they have kind of time to think about the questions and they're not put on the spot because sometimes, you know, if you ask a student a question they weren't anticipating, they're not going to give you a great answer because there's, you know, they're awkward. They don't know the answer. They haven't had time to think about it. And so I usually go in with some sort of outline. With the beginning, you know, of the semester consultation, it was I basically kind of followed the trajectory of the survey I had them bring in. And then I just like kind of asked like how the class was going so far, if they had any questions or concerns. And then with more project-based conferences, I generally ask them to bring in some sort of draft. The requirements will change depending on which class I'm teaching and what point in the semester we are. And then I will kind of ask them about their writing process, if they are having any struggles, how their research is going, uh, what resources they've been using, if they have any questions. But I definitely recommend going in with kind of an outline. First of all, it helps you stay on time. If you are a talkative person like I Mm -hmm. tend to be, conferences can get very unwieldy if you don't have a to-do list. And also it keeps you from having like a two and a half minute conference that's not at all productive with like a student who doesn't want to respond. If you kind of open the door just a little bit, but they don't have much to say, I think it's good to have a list of kind of questions you want to ask them and to share those with your students so they are prepared to answer them. And you kind of uh, anticipated my next question talking about (laughs) keeping on time. Um, So by doing these conferences, you said 10 minutes and doing it during your office hours, and we have about 180 minutes of office hours a week. That's enough time for 18 conferences back to back to back to back. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you... um, manage to keep that orderly? I generally, I get into a rhythm. The more conferences you do, I think as with most things, you get better at them as kind of the leader. And especially if you do them back to back, it can be exhausting, but you also fall into this rhythm of asking the same questions and kind of like following the same pattern. Like you just kind of get into this repetition that I find naturally kind of keeps itself to the same time. I find that I don't even have to look at the clock very often when I'm doing them back to back after the first two or so, because it kind of just like tends to follow kind of this rhythm of, you know, 10 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. And so if some of our listeners might be teaching either um, literature or rhetoric course, and they feel they'd like to get more involved with like conferencing, is there any advice you'd offer them? Yeah, I, I've i really, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I've really bought into the beginning of the semester conferencing. I think it's a time where students and you know, ourselves as graduate students or even faculty tend to have a little bit of a lighter workload as opposed to like midterms um, or finals where we have a lot of deadlines. So I feel like the 10 minutes there are maybe a little bit easier to squeeze in sometimes, even though it feels like a lot right off the bat. Um, But I feel like it really kind of like magnifies its usage throughout the semester because first of all, you learn their names. (laughs) So it's nice. And students, once you know their names, like, you know, if you don't know somebody's name, it's hard to believe that they care about you. So I'd recommend, I would recommend trying it at the beginning of the semester, especially if you've never done it, and see if you like it. I absolutely have to second it for learning students' names. <laughs> it's, it's a challenge for me. I'm very bad with names, but having one-on-one time with students at the start, you definitely get a sense of who they are, which can very easily kind of blend into the background. And it immediately matches them. For me, I meet with them over a draft of their writing very early in the semester. But for me, it immediately matches a face and a name to each paper. And 
helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it helps us see our students as people, which sounds sort of like cliche, but you know, you walk we walk into a different classroom every semester with like, you know, 20 to 25 new faces in each class that we teach. And it can be really easy for them to just kind of like fade into this like group like facade of 20 pairs of eyes like staring back at you and so I think kind of getting an idea of like their writing like you said the kind of work they do or their interests or their major their career goals kind of who they are that might affect their work in the classroom really kind of makes the classroom to seem seem more like a dynamic space in which you can like kind of interact with other people instead of unknown entities. Mm -hmm. Yeah well um, is there anything else you'd like to add about conferencing in your experience or? No, I think that's about it. But thank you for having me. All right. Well, thank you very much for being on here. Uh, this has been Eloquentia Perfecta Ex Machina. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get involved in this podcast series, to share an assignment or tool, or even to pitch an interview, please contact me, Nathaniel Rivers, at nathaniel.rivers at slu.edu. Perfect and ex machina.